Welcome to Equipping the Body. I'm your host, Dr. Brad Starnes, and today we're going through the book of James still, and we find ourselves picking up in verse number 7 of chapter 4. And so we're going to be looking at James exhorting believers to humble themselves uh, before the Lord. When I read this passage, my mind goes back to the Gospels uh, and a story about Jesus pronouncing woe to the Pharisees. And so in Matthew 23, Jesus was pronouncing his woes on the Pharisees, and he made this statement in verse 12. He said, And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, the Pharisees took pride in themselves and their own abilities. They prided themselves in how well they knew the Scripture, how they were so much more outwardly righteous than the common man. And the problem was they compared themselves to others when the measurement to compare to was Jesus Christ. Dr. Daniel Doriani rightly said, humility comes easy when we compare ourselves to God. You see, there's something to that. When we realize how sinful we are and how perfect God is, it should create in us a great sense of humility, especially when we consider that God himself humbled himself and took on the flesh of a man and gave his life, though he had done nothing wrong, to save others. Now, James speaks a lot of humility. You may remember the last time, uh, we found this promise in James that God gives grace to the humble in verse 6 of chapter 4. And however, the opposite is also true, that he gives grace to the humble, but he resists, that God resists the proud uh, and gives grace to the humble. So that being said, uh, he gives grace to the humble, he resists the proud. Why is that? Because God is zealous for his own glory, not the glory of man. And that's why he hates the pride of man. All throughout the Bible we see that. For example, in Isaiah 2.11, the prophet tells us, The lofty looks of man shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. Now I can imagine if I asked everyone in this room, uh, as I said during the sermon, uh, do you want God to give you grace, or do you want him to resist you? And I don't think anybody in their right mind would say, well, I don't want any grace. I'd rather God resist me. Well, then humble yourself. So then we ask the next logical question, well, how do we humble ourselves? Well, we find all this in James chapter 4, 7 through 10. And I apologize for that lengthy introduction, but it needed to be said. So James chapter 4, 7 through 10 the Bible says this, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So I titled this message, How to Humble Yourself, and I believe James answers that question. In verse number 7, we find this, that we humble ourselves by submitting to God. So James connects his previous warning that God gives grace to the humble and resists the proud in verse 6, and he continues in verse 7, our text today, and says, Therefore, or because of this, because God gives grace to the humble, submit to God. Now, submission is somewhat of a dirty word in our day. 
No one wants to be in submission to an authority over them. This is human nature. It's part of the fall. Adam and Eve were commanded not to take of the tree of knowledge, yet instead of submitting to God's word and God's will, they rebelled. And now we find ourselves in the mess that we're in now. So the heart of sin is truly rebellion, which is the opposite of submission. God says, do not kill, and people kill every day. God says, do not lie, and people lie all the time. God says, do not covet, and we're the most jealous generation the earth has ever seen. God says, do not be lazy, and our society pays people money to literally sit at home on the bankrolls of those who work for a living. So, I mean, (laughs) the list goes on and on, but you see the point. Everything God tells us to do, our natural inclination is to do the opposite because at our heart we're rebellious. And that is a form of pride because we are putting ourselves as more important than God. Now, before we pick up our rocks, let's remember this. James is not speaking to the lost. He's speaking to believers. He's speaking to those who claim to be Christian. You see, to have a to be a Christian is to submit to God, to have Jesus as Lord of your life. Now that word Lord means master, boss, supreme authority, the one who is in charge. And so I ask you, is Jesus in charge of your life? What about all of your life? We often become angry when the Word of God convicts us, whether in reading or in preaching, when what we should do is humble ourselves and submit to God. Because we already have the promise that if we humble ourselves, God will exalt us. But if we exalt ourselves, God will humble us. And that's never pretty. That's never pretty. So how does this idea of submission, do we see it... uh, practically laid out in our life well when we obey the word of god in order to submit to god you must submit to the word of god you either do what god says or you don't and there's something at play here because look at what he says next in verse seven resist the devil and he will flee from you what is he talking about well, some people take this verse, this part of this verse, out of context. They see it's about spiritual warfare. passage has nothing to do with spiritual warfare, really. It has everything to do with repentance and submission to God. James's point in context is this, that if you submit to God, by default, you are resisting the devil. But the opposite must then also be true, that if you rebel against God, you are not resisting the devil, but you're acting like the devil you can't do both you either resist god or resist the devil can't do both now i realize that uh not speaking literally of the person the devil i think he's too busy at the u.n to pay us any attention but to his cronies his enemies the third of angels that followed him the evil one the enemy And he will flee from you if you resist him. But the only way to resist him is to submit to God. 
human beings by nature are incurably religious. We're going to serve something. And some say, well, you know, I serve myself. Well, in serving yourself, you're rebelling against God, and whether it's intentional or not, you're really serving the enemy. So submission, submission, submission to God is what we need. Because if we don't, we're embracing the enemy. And so you say, Pastor, those are bold words. You mean to tell me that when a church or a person disobeys God's word, such as any example we've given, that they're embracing the ways of Satan? Well, that's exactly what I'm saying. You say, well, I just I think that's a little harsh. Well, Jesus didn't. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but Jesus talked about his death, burial, and resurrection, and Peter said, Lord, don't say that. And Jesus looked Peter in the eyeballs and said, Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> I mean, uh, laid out there for you. Peter, in a sense, and I don't think it was necessarily on purpose, I don't think he had this in mind, but he was rebelling against God's will that Jesus would be delivered up and crucified and killed. He didn't understand that. He didn't comprehend that, and so he resisted that. And by resisting that, he was being under the influence of the enemy. He was embracing what the enemy desired because we know the last thing Satan wanted Jesus to do was to get on that cross and get up. Uh, and so a um, little bit of an extreme example, but you get the point. If you submit to God, you by default resist the devil, but the opposite's also true. We would all do well to embrace and submit to God even when our flesh rebels. See, that requires humility because human pride says, I know best. I want what I want. I want it when I want it. And it's about me. But we shouldn't do that. We, need, we want to be exalted the right way by God. Then we need to humble ourselves by submitting to God. Now, secondly, we humble ourselves by drawing near to God. Often we see this phrase, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you, as some sort of warm, fuzzy promise. But actually, in context, he's talking about humbling ourselves and repentance. Because uh, sin creates distance between us and the Lord. It breaks fellowship. For example, the prodigal son. When he left the father's house, he was still the father's son. But because of the sin... He went into a far country and created distance between him and the Father. And so when we uh, break fellowship with the Lord because of our sin, we need to repent and draw nigh unto him. We draw near to God. Now, keep in mind the next phrase, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hand, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Clearly, he's not talking about warm fuzzies. He means draw near to God in repentance. And I'll say more about that later. But the idea is to approach or to come near to God. Now, how do we do that? I mean, I know it's repentance, and I get that, but how do we draw near to God in a practical way? By worship. And when I mean worship, I mean exalting and adoring God in a way that's biblical through the study of his word, through prayer, through the praise of his name. 
and lifting him up. Now, the problem is today is we don't know the difference between biblical worship and simply getting in our feelings. True worship requires humility. It's when you say, God, you're right, I'm wrong. True worship will manifest in repentance. I don't mean to run a rabbit here, but I think one of the problems we have with humbling ourselves for God and so we don't even we don't even realize what true worship is. So anyways, we come near. We come near. We submit to him. We come closer to him. We draw close to his presence. And it's funny that he should say something about repentance after drawing near to God because when you draw near to God, there's something about his presence that brings conviction. And I think the best example of this is in Isaiah chapter 6. The prophet came near to the presence of God. And when he did, he saw the train of his glory fill the temple. And the, the first thing out of his mouth, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of an unclean people, in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King." The closer you get to God, the more you'll see your own imperfection in light of His perfection. And this goes hand in hand with the idea of humility, with the idea of humbling oneself before God. So how to humble oneself? Well, first of all, submit to God. Second of, second of all, draw near to God in worship and in word. And that will create humility. Ask Isaiah. And I love that illustration by Isaiah because I believe that, that reveals the explanation of the point best. And then thirdly, we humble ourselves by confessing our sin. Look at verse number 8, part B. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Repent. And it's not simply sorry I got caught, but sorry over the sin itself. He says, weep, cry. When's the last time we were so bothered by a failure to serve the Lord that it led us to tears? When is the last time we were so concerned with our own sin we didn't have time to judge anyone else's? We need a sweeping through our church and all churches, and especially mine, of conviction and confession of sin. When you sin... Confess it immediately. Don't stifle the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If it bothers you, do something about it. And thank God it bothers you because that's assurance that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. We need to be killing the sin in our life. We need to confess it, weep over it, mourn over it, do everything we can to kill it. Thomas Watson said, or was it Thomas Hobbes? Now I can't remember. It was one of the Puritans. And he said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Now, imagine if you let it grow and fester, it gets worse. Imagine if a doctor told you, uh, you've got cancer, I've got to cut it out. If I don't, you'll be dead in a few weeks. What if you turn to your doctor and said, you know what, that's okay, let's just see what happens. I mean, that is insane. And the doctor says, no, you don't understand. Either we do this operation today or you'll be dead by Christmas. And you say, no, that's okay. We'll just see what happens. That's 
what we do when we let sin fester instead of confessing it. So how do we humble ourselves before God? Well, in part all these things, but especially this, we confess our sin. Confession of sin and repentance requires humility because we have to humbly admit that God is right and that we are wrong and that we are in fact sinners. And this isn't just important for believers to confess their sin in order to keep fellowship maintained, but this is part of what real salvation looks like to the lost person. Let me speak to the lost person for a moment. If you desire to be saved, you're going to have to humble yourself. You're going to have to admit that God's right and you're wrong. And I believe the reason many people never get saved is because they just can't do that. Matter of fact, nobody can apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. But nevertheless, they, they, they just cannot be wrong. And I'm telling you, without the humility to humble oneself, confess your sinfulness, and throw yourself at the mercy of Christ, you'll never be saved. Now, back to the audience and context, believers. We need to humble ourselves, and how do we do that? By confessing our sin. You remember Achan, Joshua chapter 7. I'm going I'm to give you a short version because I'm almost out of time. Achan took some stuff from a battle he wasn't supposed to take, lied about it, blah, 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 hid it in his tent, and it ended up killing him, his family, and everybody, uh, every, you know, his his people by judgment. Tried to hide it. Tried to hide sin. How prideful. I can do something God don't know about. That's That's the very definition of pride. Humble yourself by confessing your sin. Now... I've went through this, and I know until you come to the last part of the sermon, it's like, I, I'm not really making sense of this. Okay, humble myself by submitting to God, by drawing near to God, by confessing my sin. Why? That's, you know, that's a child's favorite question. Why? Why? I've answered how to humble yourselves, but now you want to know, why should I humble myself? Well, that's found in verse number 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. He will lift you up. There you have it in summation. James calls us to humility. He showed us how, and now he tells us why. Because God will honor us. God will exalt us. We will be great in the eyes of Christ and the kingdom of God. Don't you desire to be great in the kingdom, then be humble. As Andrew Murray said, humility is the only ladder to honor in God's kingdom. Be humble. Let this mind, Paul said, be in you which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him, Philippians 2, 5 through 9a. Don't you want to be exalted? Well, then stop exalting yourself. Humble yourself before God. You can be great in his kingdom. 
The problem is we want to exalt ourselves. We want to be great in the eyes of men. We want people to be pleased. James says, how futile. How silly. You need to be exalted by God. You should desire to be exalted by God. We see a good example of this in Mary Madeline, don't we? She, she comes to Jesus humbly, on her hands and knees like a beggar, takes the only thing she has that's any value and gives it to Jesus. That takes humility. She's completely humble and completely broken. And Jesus says, you know what? Because she's so humble and she's honored me, people are going to be talking about this for the rest of time. Now, that's a paraphrase, of course. He said, wherever this gospel is preached, the deed she's done will be told of. God exalts the humble. Think of Jeremiah. Zero converts, ladies and gentlemen. Now, in any Baptist church, and I, you know, well, let me get specific because I don't, you know, somebody calling me with hate mail. I'll talk about my own denomination. In any Southern Baptist church, you you go years without a baptism, you're going to be looking for a job because we measure by results, by people instead of by faithfulness. Jeremiah had zero converts. And yet we're still reading his book today, aren't we? God exalted him. God exalted him. Because he was faithful. He was humble and he was faithful. Who are we seeking to please, though? That's the question. I mean, because you, you may be here and you, you listen to this and you think, well, I don't give a rip. You know, I, I don't. Okay. Well, I, I would have to ask then, do you know Christ at all? Because surely if you know him, you desire his approval, his exaltation, the fact that he would lift you up to make you great in the ways of God. In closing, humility is uniquely a Christian virtue. Do you know that? It was a dirty word in the Hellenistic culture that pervaded Rome in the time that James wrote this, that, that that was weakness, humility. Ugh, you don't want to be called humble. That's an insult. And James said, best thing you can be called. You know, when we're humble, we're most Christ-like. And Christ was exalted. Christ said of himself, I'm meek and lowly of heart. If you desire to be honored where it matters, and that's in the eyes of God, then you must, you must humble yourself by submitting to God, by drawing near to God, and by confessing your sin to God. If you humble yourself, He will bless you, He will honor you, and he will exalt you. And I believe that, I understand that most of this, the, the big picture of this is in eternity, laying up treasures in heaven. But I believe God will honor you on earth in some ways and in some cases. Absolutely. 
So how do we humble ourselves before God? Submit to Him, draw near to Him, confess our sins to Him. And when we humble ourselves, He will in turn honor our humility. Keep studying the book of James and join us next time.